This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please, leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 21 of the Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston, and I am the producer of this podcast. We have, for this episode, Dr. John Almerode returning. If you recall, he was also a guest for episode 12, which, if you think about it, you flip the numbers around, you get 21. So that's an interesting uh, little bit of uh, trivia there. Um, but he's going to be talking PLCs with us this time around and uh, the work he's doing with his colleagues in visible learning. Uh, they have taken a view on PLCs to revise it as PLC+. It's not a complete overhaul, as you'll find in this conversation, but rather a, uh, a way of reimagining and reprioritizing the, the work of a PLC. So it was a good conversation. And the idea for this episode actually came from another John, who was a colleague of mine in Albemarle before he returned back to his native Ireland. Uh, he had asked me about whether or not I had anything planned to talk about PLCs. And I had said, well, not at the moment, but um, I figured maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea because it is something that most of us in education are familiar with and take part in. So I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to do a deeper dive into that topic. So I asked Dr. Almerode and was thinking, hmm, maybe he can point me in the right direction. And he said, well, I just happen to be working on a project with visible learning on this. So that was a piece of uh, luck right there. And he said, I'll come in and talk with you. So we set it up and uh, this is what you got. So why don't we go ahead and listen in? Um, hopefully you'll find a few new ideas that you can work with in regard to your PLC. Here we go. We were looking at PLCs. Yeah. Yeah. So. And some of it I'm just going to bank on your experiences with PLCs. Okay. Right. Because um, I'm sure you've suffered through PLCs that are um, not only not I've effective, had... but are absolutely miserable in their ineffectiveness. So it's yeah, a double I've had, I've had the whole gamut. I've had really good ones, and we did some amazing things. And yeah, and then there's the ones that, you know, you're just like, why are we here? Uh, yeah, the, we can, the, we the can books will be out in the spring. They're done. Yeah, we finished them. You've gotten you've gotten them back. Um, They've been approved. They just got to go to press. They're going to come out in April and May, mm -hmm. and then the unveiling of the model will be in June in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's go ahead and jump in right on okay. the PLC stuff. And um, I mean when when we'd initially talked uh, back, God, it was almost a year ago now. I think it was like April almost. Maybe it was March or April last year, and um. You'd mentioned a little bit about the work that you were doing, and it sounded like you had like five different things going simultaneously. But the PLC work we'd, we'd talked, I don't think I got it. I didn't put that in the podcast because it was still in the works. But um, but you'd mentioned that you were going to be doing like a complete sort of overhaul on PLCs. So I guess the place for me to start in this conversation is what does an overhauled PLC look like yeah. that's probably a pretty big question yeah. but yeah. what's fascinating is the our colleagues my colleagues and i had recognized that plcs um in many cases didn't pack the punch they were advertised to to pack mm -hmm. um, in some situations they would work but they would only work for certain individuals um, and then in other situations they were absolutely uh, ineffective and miserable to participate <laughs> right yeah um, and that was never the original intent uh, of the plc whether it was Horde's work um, or whether it was the DeFore model, mm -hmm. they all had clear uh, research-based premises upon which they were developed and then implemented into districts and schools. And what happened was is that they then would evolve into something that they were never intended to be. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, the way they were structured and the way they were formulated did not prevent them from evolving into something they were never intended to be. And when you say that they were never intended to be, like, are you thinking like of a specific direction that they were heading in in general? Or is it just sort of like all across the map? Like, what was it? That... To be honest, um, and not to be a negative Nelly on this, um, they became the catch-all for everything. 
Uh, they became common planning. They became uh, field trip planning. They became crisis intervention mm-hmm. when test scores weren't going in the right. right direction. They became discipline meetings. They became um, uh, let's let's borrow this time and cover mm-hmm. the, the lunchroom. In other words, they became the catch-all for everything that possibly needed to be done outside of the teaching components of our day. They were wedged into our planning block. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, if, it, if that didn't happen, they would become the next thing on the to-do list. So it would evolve into this meeting where people would sit down and they would say, our PLC is focusing on these issues. Here's a Word document. Fill it in. Submit it to the instructional coach or submit it to the administrator. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was teachers, because we were so busy, overworked, overburdened, that it would turn into the completion of a worksheet. Right, yeah, check that box. We did that meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. So there was no professional learning in the mm-hmm. PLC, and there was no community. It was, please, let's get this completed. And that's what the PLC stood for. Right. And so you would have these groups of teachers submitting these Word documents to their instructional coaches that were just filled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was never the intention of, of Shirley Horde or uh, the DeFores when they developed their models. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. Um, and so when we talked about an overhaul, the original thought was, gosh, maybe we need to rethink how we do this from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And what happened in subsequent reading and conversations with schools and district leaders was that an overhaul wasn't necessarily needed. What was needed was some fine-tuning mm-hmm. and some refocusing. Okay. Uh, fine-tuning how we phrased what we wanted to get done with PLCs, but then refocusing the overall premise behind the PLC and those two together led to the direction we've headed um, at this point. And so what I would say, just to be clear, is that it's not an overhaul or a correction. Mm-hmm. The previous models worked very well up to a point. And so our goal was to take what worked very well and what we've already done and take it to the next level. We do it all the time. Right. Um, this particular car worked, but now we're going to put a new model out Mm -hmm. that's going to build on what worked very well in the old model into the new one. And that's what this really is. It's not a, it's not a a statement of discontent or being critical of the previous models. It's all right. Now that schools have evolved and now that uh, teaching and learning has changed over the last 15 years, Mm -hmm. we need to take what we already do and make sure it still serves the purpose it does in this new context. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your original question, what was intended to be an overhaul ended up being um, a mixture of, uh, I'm not sure this is an appropriate way to explain, <laughs> but it's a mixture of a facelift right, and a new set of clothes. Okay. But the foundation is still very, very strong. The professional learning's there. The community aspect is there. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the reasons why we chose to take the standpoint of this is PLC+. Plus. Mm-hmm. What works very well, what has worked very well in the past, and what we know is tried and true in professional learning communities, and we're going to add the plus component. In mm-hmm. other words, what's the next step forward, just as we've taken the next step forward in instructional technology, the next step forward in uh, teacher preparation, the next step forward in textbooks and textbook design. Everything is getting revamped in these, these times, and so why not PLCs? If that's the case, how do you do that with schools who have become disaffected with Mm -hmm. this because I know as a coach I've worked in multiple schools um, and you know I've taught at a couple different schools as well we've had varying degrees of success with PLCs Mm -hmm. and varying degrees of satisfaction Um, how do you take some school that's like ah PLCs god I hate the PLC and then get them to buy in so that it becomes effective like what what's the what's the thing I think, um, and this is going to be a long-winded answer, but I'll okay. try to get to it. But one of the things that we had to think about and we have thought about over and over again um, is what is it that made them so turned off to PLCs? And it actually speaks to a broader question. I was having this conversation with a colleague just recently. One of the things that I think causes the greatest level of stress with teachers is the removal of their professionalism. Teachers now more than ever feel a sense of loss of control 
autonomy across the entire school day. Right, we right. have reading programs, writing program, math program, behavioral programs, tiered systems of support, all of these different interventions and programs. Mm -hmm. And what we would often look for is the magic bullet. And what they do is they automate what we do. Mm -hmm. They remove the decision making of the professional in the room. You mm -hmm. do this on Tuesday, you do this on Wednesday, but don't do this on Wednesday because you did that on Tuesday and you right. need to say this and not that. Mm -hmm. and don't deviate from this and don't deviate from this. And so in some ways, teachers have lost a sense of control in the very thing they sought after as a professional. And so with that loss of control and autonomy, there's this sense of loss of purpose or passion in what you're mm -hmm. doing. So that's in general. So then let's go to PLCs. What happened in PLCs is we got so focused on student learning. And, and let me be clear, that's not a bad thing, but it can be misused. If all we do is focus Would on Would you say it's not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing? It's not the only thing. Okay. That's probably a better way to okay. say that. Um, we got so focused on student learning that we forgot to look at the teaching and the decisions that teachers make mm -hmm. and making that a part of the conversation. It's not that the student did or didn't make X, Y, and Z gains in mm -hmm. some content area. It's, wait a second, as a professional, this is the decision I made. This is what I saw. And so we were missing that professional reflection right. or the power of the teacher in the classroom. And so the plus in the PLC plus model is the teacher. Okay. In other words, it's bringing the teaching and the decisions back into the conversation and recognizing that there is no one right way. There's no one right approach. There's no one right intervention. And there's no one right decision. It's a decision, an intervention, a program, a strategy based on the context of the classroom mm -hmm. that then we check to see if indeed it did have an impact on learning. So let's back up. What changed? We decided that the model needed to put a greater emphasis on the professionalism mm -hmm. and the expertise of the teacher and let that drive the conversation more than the removal of the teacher and the sole purpose or focus to be on what did that student do. Okay. And I think in educational research, we've made a mistake in advertising every new finding as the way. Right, This yeah. is the way you do it. Yeah. And if you don't do it this way, then you're doing then you're it out. wrong and you're not, yeah. And so what we do in our model uh, is that we say, look, as a teacher, you have this information about your learners. You have this body of expertise. As a team, let's make some decisions based on those two variables. Come up with a way to see if it mattered, if it had an impact, if it benefited, whatever word you want to use there. Right, yeah. Then come back and look at it and reflect on it and say, ah, these students did benefit, these students didn't benefit, those that didn't, what are we going to do differently? And if we don't know what to do differently, there comes the professional learning. Right. If we do have other options on the table, then that goes back to the decision matrix and we start to decide, okay, well then let's try this approach. And so it puts the teacher back in control of the very thing he or she sought to do when they entered the profession. So would this, would this maybe, I'm trying to think of a way to sort of conceptualize it in terms that, would you say it's kind of like a brain trust is sort of the way that you would look at the PLC this way? You're, because it sounds like you're bringing multiple situations into this and it's like a situation room and you're working through it collaboratively. Is that the idea versus like we need to have this assessment? I mean, this is something that would still need to happen, but we need to have this assessment and it has to be done by this date. And when it's done, we'll score it and then we'll move on and we'll do the next assessment. Is that correct? Like it would be sort of something like that or am I off base? No, a brain trust is, is a good way to describe it. But that brain trust is made up of three major concepts that the research has indicated over and over again have a powerful impact on how well teaching and learning goes in a school or classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, number one is efficacy. The individual efficacy of the teacher, the belief that he or she uh, can, um, has the power to, and it can do this, right? The second one would be the teacher credibility, the belief that the teacher um, is both competent, cares, is trustworthy, and has the, uh, the dynamism, is what it's often called, to, to navigate the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then number three is when you put all that together in the same room, that it builds this collective efficacy, which is the brain right. trust mm -hmm. idea. Uh, not technically, but it's very close to that. 
And so how do we put a group of teachers together and build their efficacy, up their credibility, and then put them together in a group to work in such a way that they as a group have collective efficacy to have an impact on student learning? Okay. And and it's how do we create the environment for that to happen? And that's the brain trust idea that you shared. Okay. Okay. And so we're not just going to focus on did the kids pass the math test? Did the kids learn about symbolism? Did the learners understand manifest destiny? We're moving beyond that. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the nature of the teachers in the room and their ability to reflectively facilitate learning and then make decisions when things work very well and make decisions when things don't meet expectations. So in regard to that reflective part, is there a sort of approach or a structure that you've put in place as far as how that reflective process can go? Because I know that as a coach, I do a lot of work on reflective approaches, you know, protocols, things like that, that we we will work with teachers uh, either one-on-one or in sessions. Sometimes it'll be around successes they've had. Sometimes it'll be around things that they're struggling with. What's that space going to look like in the PLC model that you guys are are working through? Yeah, um, that's a great question. The way we've chosen to go about it, and Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry are the major thought leaders in this particular area. We went back and forth on how to structure that. Okay. Those of those of you that are familiar with the DeFore model, um, will know that the DeFore model is based on four questions that get addressed during PLCs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at one time, we considered moving away from questions. Maybe questions are the problem because where there are questions, there are answers. Where there are questions and answers, you can turn it into a worksheet. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we kicked that around. We thought, well, maybe we need to just abandon questions in general. Mm -hmm. But then you can't have reflective questioning without (laughs) Without the questions, yeah. So we went Mm. back to the questions (laughs) and then decided to change the nature of the questions Mm -hmm. to refocus. So here comes the facelift and the refocus that Mm -hmm. I referred to earlier. So we decided as a group that the way to kind of push this along would be to focus on five key questions. And then within each of those questions, we provide protocols for some challenges that may come up with barriers. And we can get to barriers later. But the first question is, what is it you want your students to learn? Mm -hmm. Which I think is one of the most fundamental questions we should ask ourselves each day in a classroom. Even when I walk in front of my students at JMU, I need to know, what is it today in LED 432 Mm -hmm. or ICE 462? What do I want them to learn today? The second question that should push the conversation forward is where are your students now? Mm -hmm. So I want them to learn X, but I need to know where they are in terms of their progression to X. So where are they now? Mm -hmm. Question number three is what decisions or what am I going to do to move learning forward? Mm -hmm. What specific approaches, interventions, strategies, techniques am I going to use to move learning forward? The next one is where we start to change the flavor of of the conversation. What did we learn today? And what I mean by that is, what did I as the teacher learn today about my learners? Okay. So I did this to move learning forward. I have data and evidence. Mm -hmm. Then I step back and say, what did I learn today about this? Mm -hmm. And the last question is the one that probably will cause the most discomfort. It does for me as a teacher. Who benefited from your instruction and who did not benefit from your instruction? Okay. And then that kicks it back to question number one. What do you want your students to learn today? And so within each of those questions, it requires PLCs to have very hard conversations about, let's say, question one. What do I want my students to learn? What are your learning intentions and your success criteria? Mm -hmm. What are the standards you're aiming for for today? Where are they now? What kind of pre-assessment data do you have? What kind of evidence do you have about their current level and or their current location in the learning progression? Mm-hmm. How are you going to move learning forward? What specific strategy or technique aligns best with what I want them to learn and where they are right now? Not just a bag of tricks, but a bag of tricks that I can use purposefully. Right. Yeah, the, the pre-assessment, I was actually uh, I was reading an article, um, I think, uh, I think it was Christina Dubé. I think she's one of mm-hmm. your colleagues. She's excellent. Yeah, and uh, she was writing about pre-assessment. And uh, one of the things that, because we're working on this in one of my schools, um, we're looking at differentiation and uh, putting pre-assessment into the mix. Um, she was writing about um, using pre-assessment, not necessarily to judge what they don't know, to, but, but to judge sort of where they're at with the prerequisite 
skills that can allow them to get ahead. So instead of giving them like, you know, all the math questions that you're going to test them on at the end and say, okay, you're going to make it. And then seeing that everybody fails, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not as helpful as seeing if they can go back and understand how things, you know, like distribution or, or you know, order of operations. Mm -hmm. Do they got that before we get into this next step? So how does, how does that sort of pre-assessment figure into, say, the PLC work? Because this—that sounds to me like a lot more complex than what a lot of people are doing. Yeah, and and Christy is is one of the most amazing colleagues I have ever had the pleasure of working with, and she's and her work is right on the money. Mm -hmm. it, it's not um, not that she needs my validation, but <laughs> right. I, I rely yeah. on her work mm -hmm. for mine. I, okay. I, I read I read her mm -hmm. to figure out what to do next. But it is about more than just here's the pre-assessment that I'm going to give you again in three weeks. It's the prerequisite skills as you described, but it's also disguising it in a way that's still engaging. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a hundred question multiple choice assessment right. at the beginning of the unit. It doesn't have to be an entrance ticket. It can be a task that requires learners to collaboratively attack a problem and you're listening to figure out, do they have the vocab? Do they have the skills? Are they aware of the approach? And so there are all kinds of different ways to pre-assess them mm -hmm. beyond just a paper pencil. Okay, tomorrow we're starting a new yep. unit. So today here comes your 90-minute pre-assessment. And your scan you know, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so it's that information that then should drive the decisions you make about how to move learning forward. Mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned this before. John Hattie refers to it as the Kenny Rogers theory of learning. Mm -hmm. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. Not every strategy works all the time. Right. So in order to know when to match concept mapping in at the right time or when to do a think pair share or when to do a close reading, you've got to know what is it you want them to learn and where they are right now. Mm -hmm. That's sort of why I brought that up is because I feel like when you're looking to do those things, that's when it's helpful to have somebody bounce an idea off yep. of. So what are some of the things that I feel like I'm making a right turn or a left mm -hmm. turn or whatever, some turn. Um, what are some of the things you, you guys have kind of pulled off as like, maybe that's not so necessary in the PLC plus. One of the things that we did not want to do was to create a list of things of the not necessary list okay. because the fear would be then is that, Oh, well the book said, or, or, you know, Doug and Nancy mm -hmm. say, or John says, don't do this during PLCs. Cause it all depends. Right. right that's and true. so, yeah. it, you know, when you take care of those first three questions, um, let's say you and I sit down and we have a discussion and, and based on where we are in our pacing guides and where we are in our curriculum framework, this is what I want them to learn over the next week. Mm -hmm. And we need to design a pre-assessment and we decide we're not going to do a traditional, Scantron pre-assessment. Right, yeah. And I look at you and say, yeah, but I don't know how to do anything but that. Right. Um, there's the PL of the PLC. Mm -hmm. So now here's a professional learning opportunity for you and I and the rest of our English team mm -hmm. to, oh, well, then let's go see if we can figure this out. There's the PL. That's the PL part. Yeah. In, the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, that activates that PL. So then we get it. Then we start to make decisions. And let's say... You speak up and say, well, I don't know how to do a jigsaw. Mm -hmm. Here comes the PL again. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know how to do a text rendering. Well, here comes the PL part. It could be anything from cooperative learning, flexible, whatever comes whatever up. Whatever There's the PL. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you do that in isolation, you run the chance of falling back into, well, I'm just going to do it the way I've always done it. Right. But as a group, now you can have that community efficacy building experience that truly does move learning forward in a way that the research says mm -hmm. it's going to move forward and or the intervention would move it forward. And so those three questions, it's there's not really anything off limits. It's just a matter of what is it? What is it you want them to learn? Where are they now? And mm -hmm. how are you going to move learning forward? Just keeping those as sort of like guideposts then? Is Absolutely. That, okay. Because um, then when you come back, and take care of those last two questions or move into those last two questions. What did we learn today? Mm -hmm. That's when you lay the evidence out on the table. And now there are some things that are going to show up as off limits at this point. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're things that we intuitively know that we probably shouldn't do. And that is, don't blame the kids. Right. They're 16 learning high school English. Right, right. We, we have degrees in it. They're seven-year-olds. You know how to read. They don't. Don't blame mm -hmm. them. Right. Hang tight. 
Um, but what did we learn today? Lay the evidence on the table and figure out who did and who didn't benefit. And in that conversation, you want to avoid things like blaming. Uh, you want to avoid uh, stereotypes and, and turn it into a gripe session. So we do in that area of the model start to say, be leery of this. Mm -hmm. If you start to venture into this territory, when you look at your evidence. So when you look at those sort of things, those sound to me like norming things that you would yeah. need to set up. Is that something that you've you've worked into this process is sort of setting up some some norms for your PLC so that you guys are able to kind of have a touch point and say, well, we're kind of veering off course. We, we say we want to do this. You know, let's maybe get back to, to that thing. Does Absolutely. that does that fit? We um we also co-authored together and 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 Doug and Nancy were insistent upon this part because they'd had direct experience with this in the past. Mm -hmm. um, a playbook. So not a only playbook. is there a book, the PLC Plus book, mm -hmm. there's an accompanying playbook. And in that playbook are a series of protocols and a series of modules mm -hmm. that does exactly what you described. Okay. If, if your PLC Plus team needs some norm setting, we Try have opportunities yeah. for that, um, suggestions for that. We have mm -hmm. strategies that may work or suggestions on how you might take that strategy and adapt it for your particular group. And so we have modules that are going to accompany the book through the playbook. Mm -hmm. um, and the trick is using that playbook when you are actively engaged in the PLC plus meetings that's really going to benefit your group when it's needed. So we're back to the timing thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you may need to set some norms. Um, there may need to be uh, some expectations set with your PLC Plus team. Um, just like any, in that case, it's no different than the previous PLC models. Right, yeah. You still have to behave. <laughs> you still have to respect each other. Uh, this doesn't sound fun and, anymore. Right now, <laughs> So in that regard, it's, it's, it's just human interaction. Right, yeah. What we have tried to do is refocus it on, look, you're the expert in the room, and you're in a room full of fellow experts. Mm -hmm. Let's put this together into a collective right. Let's direction forward and yeah. do this. Um, and quit worrying solely on one component of what we do every day and look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part I will tell you um, – is the, the focus on equity. Okay. How and, so? Like, where does that play in? And that's that last, that last question, the last two questions really bring it out, but it's prevalent in all five of them. And that is, does every student in your classroom have equity of access and opportunity to the learning? There's nothing about being a female that inhibits your ability to learn math and science. But if your females are not performing very well in math and science, you have an equity issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's nothing about children from high poverty environments that inhibits them from learning Shakespeare, mm -hmm. if your low SES kids aren't doing well and that cluster is the group that's mm -hmm. not doing well, you have an equity problem. Right, yeah. And so one of the things that the model requires groups to do is look at those that are benefiting and those that aren't benefiting. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets really tough. Is there a common characteristic amongst the group that's not benefiting, other than them not benefiting, right? that puts them together? Mm -hmm. Are they all my Hispanic children? Mm -hmm. Are they all my children with a learning disability? Are they all the children that are identified mm -hmm. as low SES? If so, you got an equity issue, and that's got to be fixed immediately. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing about those characteristics that is counterproductive to learning. Right. Now, they carry with them contextual factors that can impede learning, but they should not be clustered together right. in that regard. Right. Just That's an by equity virtue issue. of sharing the same skin color or the same economic status. Correct. Gender or whatever. Um, so figuring that out, you're, you say that's the hard part. Can you – what makes it – so hard. I mean, I have, I've done some work with, you know, CRT and stuff, but I want to just kind of tease that out a little yeah. bit. Cause nobody wants to have, nobody wants to probably face the fact that, wow, none of the kids in low SES do well in your classroom. Mm -hmm. Only the rich kids do well in your classroom. Mm -hmm. 
no one wants to hear that. And and, right. I, and I don't mean to be blunt or inappropriate. Well, no, I think but, that's fair though to be yeah. blunt because it's I mean, you know, one of the things that's hard about equity talk is that there's a lot of dancing around hard issues, yeah. right? And and I think you know when it comes down to like say if you're talking this in a PLC, it can get it can get pretty itchy, right? Um, but at the same time, if you're not naming it, you're not really addressing it. Yeah, I mean, we again, no one likes to hear that said about them, and so the defensiveness right. starts. Mm-hmm. Why is it that none of the children of color in your classroom do well, right. but all the white kids do? Mm-hmm. What What is that? There, mm-hmm. There's just no way statistically or in reality that should happen. So what is it about the way that I am setting up my classroom that would cause that to rise to the surface? Mm-hmm. That is uncomfortable. Nobody likes to talk about that, but it's an issue we have to confront. And one of the ways that I, I try to do it, and, and I don't know whether this works or not. You, you're going to have to ask somebody that I've worked with. But <laughs> I walked into um, some colleagues' classrooms and I said, look, let me ask you something. Before you start teaching this next unit, so let's say the next unit is... Um, adding them, subtracting decimals. Let's just say it is. Or let's mm-hmm. say it's um, author's purpose or, or persuasive, argumentative writing. Let's say you name the next unit. And I said to you, name the learners in this classroom that you think are going to struggle through this next unit. And if they can do it, well, that one's going to have trouble and I think she's going to have some trouble and she has trouble. And then it turns out that that's the case. If you knew going into the unit that that child was going to struggle, Right, and you let it happen, and then we put the intervention in at the end. That is a colossal waste of energy and time. Right. In other words, how do we move from being reactive to proactive? Right. If I know coming in the door that my PLC has recognized that in this department we struggle with this group of learners, mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait until it happens again to say, now what are we going to do this year? I'm going to, on August 6th, already have PL in place, professional mm-hmm. learning in place, right. and a plan in place to front end it. Mm-hmm. I want to be proactive, not reactive. And that motivation should be driven by equity of access and opportunity. Right. And so this PLC plus model hopefully will push that conversation to the forefront to say if they are predictable, do something now. Right, yeah. No, do and I think now. that makes sense. And the, the thing I would hope, right, is that with a... And this is one of the sort of things about change theory, right? It's easier to change if you have a partner in crime, right? Right, right. Um, And so if you look at being able to take a PLC and have strong connections with each other, then perhaps some of those truth-telling moments might be a little more manageable. Mm-hmm. That's that's my assumption, right? And I've been in, like I said, I've been in PLCs where it's just been, like you were saying, there's a sheet you got to fill out. Well, let's fill out the sheet and get back to work, right? Right. And then I've also been in PLCs where we've done some really amazing things. And we've been able to get to those points where we're like, hey, I'm not doing this, and you guys are. What are you doing, right? Um, so... I guess looking at the idea of a PLC and and the concept of equity is how can we foster the ability in a PLC to have Mm -hmm. maybe some of those hard conversations or those problem-solving conversations that get at that uh, preemptive action versus, you know, waiting for it to happen as you thought it would. Yeah. Uh, so what you're hitting on is something we refer to as um, our cross-cutting values, our core values. Mm-hmm. So within this model, um, there are the five questions that should provide the structure. Mm-hmm. And within those five questions are very specific um, protocols for through the playbook mm-hmm. that will help teams move through them as needed. Uh, some mm-hmm. teams may not need particular to particular protocols. But then all those those five questions and those protocols are all wrapped in some values. And one of the first values we've already talked about is equity. Mm-hmm. Equity of access and opportunity to the learning. The second, uh, one of the second values is, is what we call activation or the activator. Mm-hmm. In other words, there has to be someone in the room that is willing to facilitate and activate the conversation. One of the things we noticed across the country, uh, and I would assume across the globe, I just don't have that, that right, particular yeah. data, yeah. is that there's got to be someone in the room that's willing to be the activator or there have to be structures in place that 
spur people to action, Mm -hmm. not just give them the passion, but the purpose behind the task. Yeah. And so one of the things is to provide, um, I, I I don't like to overuse the word protocol, but to provide tasks or provide, um, uh, I'm struggling for words because I don't want it to seem like uh, the worksheet. Approach. Like it's too, like it's too pre- prescriptive. It, is I what don't you're... want it to be too. Pre- yeah, right. I'm trying to avoid being prescriptive, but to provide um, activities, tasks, or experiences, like a framework, or absolutely that or activate people to engage. Okay. Um, whether it's a certain way to look at data, whether it's a certain set of question stems, whether okay. it's a certain task for them to do that activate people to not only have the passion. To engage in this, mm-hmm. but see the purpose behind it. Okay. Um, right. There was a great study that was out. Um, I read it. Uh, I just read it in a book. It's out of uh, UC Berkeley, where they looked at people's passion and purpose. Because mm-hmm. there's always the belief: well, if you have passion, you can do anything. Right. Actually, the researchers found that's wrong. <laughs> well, that sounds um, sounds about right. You to can me. have a ton yeah. of passion yeah. and get nothing done. The mm-hmm. determining factor on whether you get something done is whether you see purpose. Right. And what's interesting is they looked at people who just had purpose but no passion. Mm-hmm. They were just as productive. Right. So you can actually have purpose, no passion, right? So we want to make very clear what the purpose is so that it activates folks yeah. to engage in it, even if you're upset because you're being forced to be in a PLC+. Plus. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the catch. Yeah. We want the purpose. We'd like the passion with it, but if we just get the purpose, we know from yeah. the research that we're, we're going to be okay in hopes that the passion ignites as it. As long as that... Yeah. Still is, and that comes from that yeah. efficacy, right? Mm-hmm. So you see the purpose, but you have no passion, and you engage in this, and then you see learning happen in your classroom, and you see the interaction with your colleagues, and all of a sudden, the passion comes with that. So building that collective efficacy through that shared experience mm-hmm. will hopefully ignite that passion if it's not already there, mm-hmm. but continue to stay focused on that purpose. So. I guess um, it sounds like what you need to do is create the necessary conditions and try to prevent obstacles from being in the way of somebody who is maybe the, you know, the one who they, they can, they know what they're doing and they, and they'll do it, but they're not going to be necessarily happy about it. Right, right. Um, But the experiences they get should then ignite that passion. Right. If you can show positive outcomes. And the other thing, we, we were very honest, and we have been very honest up to this point about the barriers to PLCs. Okay. What are They're some well of those? researched. Um, in fact, it's funny. I, you'll be in a room and you'll say, well, you know, every PLC has its own unique barriers. Turns out that's not true either. Okay. And, and that if you do the research on PLCs, about 15 common barriers occur with everybody. Okay. In other words, nobody can come along and say, well, we have a very unique barrier in our PLC. Eh, nope, you're not unique. Everyone else has the yeah, same barrier. Right, right, right. Um, one, of the, one of the common ones is uh, uh, we're in the room collectively, but we work independently. Oh, now, yeah. Now, that was my experience. Mm-hmm. All of us sit around in the math department in our PLC meetings, mm-hmm. and we worked on our own stuff. And the only time we communicated was when I said, well, next week I'm doing equations. Who else is doing equations next week? Well, I am. Well, do you have a worksheet for that? Yeah, I'll send it right over to you. And then I went back and to my And you're back work. in the, yeah, back in your So you're space. meeting collectively. Yeah. You're working independently. Again, the activator component of this model will hopefully, and we've seen it happen already. And the reason I say hopefully is because the beta testing phase and all of this stuff is still in the works. We'll, we'll bring that together. And what we've seen is that it has brought them together. Okay. Uh, another barrier is um, our test scores are fine. I don't know why I have to do this. So how do we help redirect folks to understand, yeah, they might be doing well on the test, but there's more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the data collection and the data analysis protocols bring to the surface, are they really doing well on the test because of something we did, or would they have passed the test in August? Yeah. Now, that's the big one. Right. If they could pass the test in August, that means they spent August to May with you. Spinning wheels. And you did nothing. Yeah. But you get credit for it, mm-hmm. even though they could already do it when they came in the door. So how do we design uh, some protocols and conversation stems and activate that conversation to bring that to light just as we would bring to light? Well, yeah, 86% of your kids do well. But you know what those 14% have in common? They're all the ones that are of Latin descent or Hispanic descent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got a problem. Right. So uh, 
the, the model is designed to address those barriers, but it's through effective activation of conversations amongst the collective brain trust in the room. Um, another one that I like is uh, um, we're forced to be here. I don't want to be here. Just get this over with. That's not just PLCs, though. <laughs> That's faculty yeah. meetings. That's any PD. That's, yeah. Um, and that is um, we address that barrier by being very clear. Um, and it's something that we haven't done the best mm -hmm. at. It's been my experience. Um, okay. And I think the other authors would speak to that. And I think you would speak to that. One of the ways to shore that up is to make sure the expectations of the PLC Plus are clear. We're putting okay. you in a room. Here's what we'd like you to accomplish. That often suppresses some of that, I don't want to be here. I don't like it. I don't know why I'm here. Some mm -hmm. of that is just, we don't know why. My, right, my right. seven and four-year-old do that. If I yeah. don't tell my seven and four-year-old the why behind something, yeah. mm -hmm. they're going to resist it. Exactly. Well, it turns out 37-year-olds do the same thing. Yeah. And so those are some of the barriers that we explicitly address and bring to the, we don't hide them. We come out and say, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. This has happened. This is happening right now. It's Here are some ways to that, navigate that. That whole thing there, that, that just here's what you can expect. It's, it really amazes me how far that can take you. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes. I was, you know, the first time I encountered it was with my kids. Yeah. I'd be like, we've got five more minutes to be here. And I noticed that, you know, the tantrum as we left the playground was not as severe as it usually was. It, yep. it was really, that, that was the first time I really saw the power of it, but then I was, would see it elsewhere too. Well, I'm sorry, what we, were you going to well, say? Well, I was going to say, I was going to amen what you said. <laughs> we, um, I was working with a local school faculty with their PLCs, and I decided to go with the barriers mm -hmm. because I didn't have a lot of time, and right. so I was trying to figure out, and so I didn't get hung up in the, the questions or the protocols. Right. I thought, how can, how can we have the most productive conversation? I thought, you know what? Let's start I'm going to throw the, the 15 yeah. barriers at them. Yeah. And the task for each table was to, how would you address this particular barrier? Mm -hmm. And I gave them a scenario. Mm -hmm. you know, Sally Smith and her team, at the, it was very, right? So what was interesting, and I didn't see this coming, they all started reading them, and then finally one of them said, this is us, and you just changed the names, isn't it? <laughs> and, and I went, actually, no, it's not you. Right. This is... These are purely made up scenarios, but it's based on research that we have yeah, on commonalities that we've seen through observation. Yeah. And I thought the conversation with them was better than any conversation I've had with PLCs, partly because the barriers cut right to the core. Mm -hmm. Because their first response was, my gosh, this is yeah, me. It was real. This yeah. is me. This is me. Yeah. And I think one of the things we're honest with is look, here they come. Mm -hmm. There's not a single thing we can offer you that's going to be barrier free. Right. What we can do is say, look, here's a way around it. Here's what we know from the research. And here's how you can use your own collective efficacy and what you refer to as the brain trust mm -hmm. to do it. Because here's the answer. The answer is in the room. Yeah. The answer is not from a consultant. The answer is not from an outside expert. The answer is the teacher. And we have completely marginalized teachers in the last 15 years mm -hmm. And substituted them with interventions, boxed curriculum, immediate fix-its that somebody has sold us in an educational conference, and we've marginalized the teacher. I mean, mm -hmm. we have teachers now, and I'll try not to get too soapboxy. All right. We have teachers in classrooms right now that stand in front of a room full of kids and read a script to them. Yeah. And then we act shocked when the kids don't want to participate, when they are not engaged, when we have behavioral challenges and when nothing happens to scores. You know why? Because you're talking to them like they're little robots and you've completely removed the mm -hmm. teacher's professionalism. Well, and from you're, it. you're taking out that piece of the relationship, right? You're trying to sideline the relationship yep. with the students, which is what ideally equity is based upon, knowing who the person in front of you is so that you can best reach them. And, and I would say that's the take home from our work in the PLC world. Um, and again, it's a well-established field. Mm -hmm. uh, there are pillars in the field that if they did not do the work they did, whether it's the DeFores or, or Shirley Horde, if they did not do the work they did, we would not be where we are now. All we did was say, you know what? Time out. Bring the teachers back to the table. Mm -hmm. It's them that's been missing from the PLC. We've removed... 
inadvertently, it was not intentional. Rick and Becky DeFord did not do it on purpose. As a result of that, we've marginalized them. And so we've made it into this factory approach that is just, I think it's just killing us. Yeah. It's just killing us. And so that would be my message. And, and you'll, you would see in the book, um, and I'm not just here to sell the book, but one of the things we make sure we say right off the bat, the plus in the PLC plus mm-hmm. is the teacher. Right, right. Come on. Bring yeah. your bring your brains, come to the table, and do what you set out to do, what you were trained to do, and don't let yourself be marginalized by boxed curriculum when we know there's much more to that, especially when it comes to test scores. Yeah. Well, I think, um, and I wanted to touch on the administrator's role in this, because I was thinking as you talked about, you know, that, that barrier where people were like, well, our test scores are fine. I don't know why I'm here. You know, in a school where test scores are king, and that's the main push. It's always score, 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 score from the person in the front office or the people in the front office. I mean, that's a barrier. But like, as far as the administrator's role in making something like this flourish, where where does an administrator start with trying to get his faculty to reimagine how they interact in PLCs? Um, I think a couple of areas. Number one is the space. Um, and I don't mean physical space. I mean the head space. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to, to truly implement PLCs of any kind, um, step one is to protect the space. Uh, it can't be... You mean like hold it sacred? Absolutely. This is, this is your PLC time. That's I'm not going to burden that. Absolutely. And staying true to that. In other words, it can't be a, well, we've got to meet about um, the textbook adoption group. So let's move our PLC meeting Tuesday to next week. And mm-hmm. Tuesday, let's meet and see if we can decide on these math, this math right. book, which math book. Stop right, right there. Schedule around the PLC. Um, the other thing is um, when it comes to protecting the space is watching what else we have on board. Mm-hmm. If we have PLCs, if we have grade level, if we have vertical team meetings, if we have school improvement team meetings, if we have data days, if all of a sudden the list of meetings and committees is huge and PLCs are just one more on the list, then it's going to get marginalized that way. In right. other words, it may be time to say, time out. Do we need to do data meetings and PLCs or are these one and the same? Right. You should be doing that authentically specifically for the kids you work with. Correct. So that's number one is protect the space. Mm -hmm. Number two um, would be making sure that we are building capacity and supporting the capacity in the teachers to be the activators Mm -hmm. and not the administrators being the activators. Okay, right. So instead of the instead of it being you guys gotta do this, you gotta do this, hey, why haven't you met yet? Blah 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 blah. Right. Um okay. Or showing up and, and I don't mean this to be, oh, I mean this to be funny more than anything, but <laughs> okay. it's not going to be received by everyone as funny. Right. Well, that's the way jokes Don't go. come sliding in with your walkie-talkie, set your walkie-talkie on the desk, sit there and say, I just come to see what you guys are doing in your PLCs today. And then the minute the walkie-talkie goes off, get up and leave. See ya. Yep. What that translates into, is he still in the room? Okay. Let's go back to talking about the field mm-hmm. trip. Yeah. In other words, it has to be more of an organic type I don't want to say grassroots because the the instructional leader in the building should set the tone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to imply right. that, but it, it the activators should be the teachers in the building, not well, the think, administrator in the I building. I think you know, like if you can get the necessary conditions set for them to flourish, right? If you go to that idea of grassroots, right? Well, who's the guy who takes care of the lawn? Mm-hmm. You know, right. that's uh, you know, you've got you've got some. That's a great way to say that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's not it's not always divided that neatly, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you can make it a situation where you know there are opportunities within that time and it is held sacred, then you might find that flourishing and that growth is is set to happen. And the last thing I would say, and this is probably a conversation that could go on forever, um, is what kind of climate does that building have? Mm-hmm. Um, if it is a climate that encourages risk-taking, trying new things, being innovative, and focused around feedback mm-hmm. from your instructional leaders, that's very different than an instructional leader that only sees his or her role as evaluative. Right. If our PLC tries something on Tuesday and we find out next Wednesday that it did not work, 
Or are you going to get slapped for it? Absolutely. Yeah. Or is it going to be, I told you guys not to try that, but I wanted you to, I wanted you to be able to be innovative. That's wrong. Versus mm-hmm. if the administrator rolls up their sleeves and says, all right, well, what did we do? What, okay, what if we tweak this? If they were actually part of that, mm-hmm. part that's of very the, different. The, the reflective part of Absolutely. it. And you know what I'm talking about. You know administrators that are evaluative in their tone, mm-hmm. their approach. Their very nature is evaluative. Mm-hmm. And then those administrators that are very much into the formative evaluation, they yeah. go, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's try yeah, something Yeah, they can else. live in the gray area yep. comfortably. And, yeah. and, and I don't know how you teach that, but I do know I have colleagues in ed leadership that are working on that very thing right now. Well, I guess I'm wondering if it's possible for a PLC to function in both of those environments but look different. Is that... Does that sound possible, or is this something where maybe that's just not a reality? And I know we're getting close to time, so I would say um, it's possible for a PLC, um, for a PLC in particular, PLC Plus, to function in that environment. Mm-hmm. I think it is going to look different, and it may not look different in a good way. Mm-hmm. I think it can still function. I mm-hmm. think the conversation around learning um, and around teaching still needs to happen, but it is going to look very different. And maybe in the near future we'll have data mm-hmm. that will answer that question so we can come out and say, look, buildings that are highly evaluative that did the PLC plus, they did it. These were the outcomes. But a formative evaluation approach, these were those outcomes. Mm-hmm. I, it would mean somebody would have to, to do it. That out. Absolutely. It would because be nice to look a spectrum, at that. Right? Yeah. And you got you might have a full team that's all yes, no. You might have half a team that's, you know, so. And it's going to be hard to research that because if you find it, mm-hmm. to call it that, yeah, then there's it's going the, to be really hard. Yeah. Um, so I think it's one of those where as we do our work in the field, we might gain clarity on those questions mm-hmm. just by virtue of our experience. Yeah. Will it operate? Of course. Why? Because PLCs have operated in buildings with negative climate for years. Will we get the impact that we have seen in other buildings using uh, this approach, putting the teacher back at the center, I, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that that all four of us uh, that are are a part of this team, um, and Doug and Nancy in particular, the passion for bringing the teacher back to the center and moving them into the true instructional leadership role that he or she occupies in, in his or her classroom is on the forefront. Mm-hmm. The teacher is is the biggest factor, or the cluster of influences associated with the teacher mm-hmm. make up more of an impact on student learning than anything else. It's the teacher, right? It's the teacher. So why is it that the teacher is often left out of the conversations right. when it comes to teaching and learning? This model, this approach, our view is get them back in the center mm-hmm. and focus more not. Uh, not so much on the teacher as a person, like you're a bad teacher, you're a great teacher, the decisions he or she makes and then providing the professional support mm-hmm. so that he or she can make the best decisions with the best information possible. Right. And I think that's it. Yeah. Best decisions with the best information possible. And the previous PLC models had, had moved away from it partly because education had moved in a different direction. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely been some pretty significant changes in, in this field in the last yep. 15, 20 years. So, um, well, we are pretty much at time. Is there anything you wanted to add as far as something that maybe we didn't cover? Because I like to make sure I, I give that chance to, uh, to people when I'm talking with them since, you know, I know I, I have questions, but there might be uh, something I overlooked. Not that I can think of. Um, this has been a... Um, a learning journey for all of us mm-hmm. um, because when we first started conversations about PLCs, we recognized the negative connotation that comes with PLCs. Right. Yeah, there's um, definitely some baggage. And so then to step into that arena, the eye rolling started just right. with the initial just walk statement. right into the middle of it, yeah. Yeah, and so I think some of it is our own learning that we had to kind of bring together and say, yeah, I remember this and I remember this, and then going and seeing what others were saying about it and our goal was to take what has worked in the past and make sure it is still an appropriate means for engaging in professional conversations in today's climate. Mm-hmm. And that was the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say is that if anything I've said today, if anything that is read <laughs> right, turns into another worksheet, another meeting, another set of evaluative expectations – 
then we have miscommunicated the intent because mm-hmm. that is not it at right. all. Right, that's not the goal. Yeah. yeah, and so I would encourage your listeners to reach out mm-hmm. and say, we listened to this, we tried this, and this is what happened because we will try to put those fires out. Okay. Because when, that's when not you what say to do. reach out, are you talking about to you guys? Or? You, can, you, can, you can email any of us. Okay. Karen, Doug, Nancy, me, Karen. You can yeah. email any of us because I think we're, we're all for passionate about making mm-hmm. sure this doesn't fall into the trap that so many other initiatives have right. or that it gets put on the shelf next mm-hmm. to the other magic bullets. Right, yeah. The goal of this is to make sure we don't treat something as a magic bullet but treat it as one option, one tool. And I would say this, as a, as a teacher educator, we are so good at giving kids tools. Mm-hmm. Our graduates walk across the stage at JMU with a truckload of tools for their classroom. Mm-hmm. Where we're not always the best right. is the skills in using those tools. Right, knowing them, when to pull that one yes. out of the tool bag, yeah. And and this model, this conversation, everything we've talked about, Doug, Nancy, Karen, and I, everything we've talked about from day one, mm-hmm. how does this help teachers pick the best tools at the right time with the right content for the right student? That's the goal. Right. That's the intent. Well, and I think, you know, having having the, the group of people discussing those specific things is going to help with, you know, well, I don't think that's maybe the appropriate thing, right? Yeah, so right, right. so that's, I mean, I, and especially for somebody coming right out of JMU or any school with their teacher tool bag, right, right. you know, talking to some folks who have tried it in that thing, and that might be a good way to kind of bounce some ideas off the wall for a novice. So, well, thank you for doing this, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's been it's been a wild uh, wild morning as far as trying to get everything <laughs> underway, but but we did it and yeah. and we're here. But thanks again. I appreciate hey, it. Thanks for letting me ramble about something I like. Very few people listen to me. My wife sends me out of the house cuz she gets tired of hearing so about go it. Talk to, go talk to go talk to She's tired of me. Put, she's <laughs> yeah. tired of me putting learning intentions and success criteria up on the kitchen board. Yeah. Is that for the kids? You're like, That's "Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson, here's what you're going to do today." Yeah. You got these three things. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. Right on. Well, thanks again. Thanks again to John for coming out. Uh, I had a good conversation, and I think we uh, we were able to take the discussion on PLCs in a couple places that maybe I hadn't anticipated. Um, you know, for example, finding equity in the work of a PLC. I think that that is a great way to be able to, uh, you know team together and make sure that you're accountable to the mission of education. So anyway, uh, I really appreciated him coming in and hopefully uh, you found it useful as well. Coming up, I have, and I'm not sure if this will be a regular episode or if I'm going to do it as a special episode, but uh, I've been working with Community Middle over in Albemarle and uh, we're doing an NPR podcast competition with the kids there. Um, So to do the kickoff for that, uh, I did a live podcast for the uh, for the kids there with Lorenzo Dickerson, who is a local historian of black history in Charlottesville. Um, We took a look at uh, desegregation and how it affected the community. So um, I'll be editing that up. I'm actually going to start on that tomorrow. Um, and doing a couple of things for the kids so they can see some of the editing techniques and also kind of get to track sort of the process that, that I go through in making a podcast so that, so that they can inform their own. So anyway, that's been a, a lot of fun. I've been ducking in and out of uh, Community Middle to assist with that project. Um, I'm looking forward to how it turns out. Um, and then after that, I am planning to talk with Jennifer Abrams uh, this, at the end of this month. And so that'll be another episode that's going to be coming up soon. Uh, and I believe she's got, uh, she's got something coming out sometime this spring as well so a lot of stuff going on over here and i hope you got a lot of stuff going on for you too all good stuff um, please uh, check out the website theednarrative.com you've got uh, podcasts and you've got blog posts and then also uh, i've put up a school podcast resource I'm not sure how far I'm going to develop it. Mostly I'm just designing it for that project I told you about with Community Middle. But I do have, um, I do have some things on there on how to 
do the basics of Audacity, etc. So if you're interested, that's there now. Make sure you uh, follow me on Twitter at The Ed Narrative. And I guess that's about it. I'll catch you later. Bye.